I'd like to welcome you to today's Stats and Short Stories episode. Stats and Short Stories is a partnership between Miami University and the American Statistical Association. I'm John Baylor. I'm chair of the Department of Statistics at Miami University, and I'm joined by my colleagues Rosemary Pennington and Richard Campbell, professors in the Department of Media, Journalism, and Film. We're fortunate to be joined today by guest Nicole Lazar, professor of statistics at the University of Georgia. She's currently president of the Caucus of Women in Statistics, and she joins us today to talk about collecting and understanding data about the brain. Nicole, welcome. Thank you. I, I, I'd say I'd, I'm going to start with a simple question, but it probably isn't. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what, you know, my question is, what kind of data can we collect about the brains? I mean, assuming they're still in place. You know, so let's, <laughs> let's assume that we're going to keep them in skulls. <laughs> yeah, all, lots of data. Um, so there are, there are a wide variety of imaging techniques for the brain, which can get at everything from the structure to the function, depending on what you choose to look at and how you look at it. Um, I could talk about a couple of methods if you're, if you would like. Sure. Um, and, and how about what kind of questions are answered using those methods? Sure. So in terms of uh, structure, you might do something like diffusion tensor imaging or DTI, which looks at how water spreads through the brain, uh, liquid spreads through the brain, and then that allows you to discover pathways. That's in the white matter that connects the different regions of the brain. If you're interested in function, you might do something like functional magnetic resonance imaging, fMRI, or electroencephalography, EEG, which measure uh, indirectly brain activation. So fMRI looks at changes in um, basically in oxygen levels of the brain, and EEG looks at electrical signals in the brain. So it's really cool. <laughs> I mean, because you can you, you basically with the with the with the functional imaging, you collect movies of the brain while it's in action. So you have you have the subject, the person doing some kind of task, and you can see changes in the brain activation, the neuronal activation, indirect, but still um, reasonably well tied down to what's actually going on. And then you can study. So for instance, if you are solving, trying to solve a hard math problem while you're in the magnetic resonance imaging scanner, what parts of your brain become more active? How does that change as you age? How is that different for people who are good at math and people who are not so good at math? Um, in more, more sort of serious realms, what are the differences in brain activation or in connections between different regions of the brain, between healthy people and people that have some sort of um, mental health issue or neurological disease and so on? How did this become sort of your area of focus? That's interesting because it wasn't. I mean, that's not how I was trained. I was I was trained as and did my research in very mathematical statistics areas at University of Chicago. And then when I came to um, Carnegie Mellon as my first faculty job, I blame it all on Bill Eddy. He came to my office one day and said, "Hey, I've got pictures of the brain. Do you want to see them? It's really cool." <laughs> so, okay, you know, I studied psychology as an undergrad. That might be cool. And I was like. And, and I wasn't so interested I, at that time. I didn't think I was really interested in the statistics so much, just as going back to the psychology, actually. And of course, not going that direction at all. So yeah, it's really Bill Eddy who got me into this. Um, and indeed, the pictures of the brain were cool. And there was lots of problems in, in their analysis. And so I've been doing that in addition to other things. But this has definitely become one of my research uh, areas ever since. 
So what, what's the coolest application you've worked on? The coolest application? Yeah, the one that on? you thought was really, really neat, really awesome. So I'm working on one now that I'm, I think has the potential to be really cool. Um, we'll see where it goes. So it's actually not on people either. And it's oh. actually not on, on live. So this is imaging, not, not, the function, not functional imaging necessarily so much. Um, I'm working with some colleagues of mine here in the stat department and a colleague in the School of Veterinary Medicine to study stroke and recovery from stroke. So we have imaging data on pigs, um, not people, and a whole range of um, behavioral and other uh, measures taken on these animals. And we want to try to see how stroke recovery happens. So I'm pretty excited about that. So has that been done with people? Sorry? Has that been done with people, subjects, actual human subjects? So the, the, um, not, not this study, uh -huh. <laughs> because we look at the animals after they've died. Uh -huh. um, and some of them, you know, die on their own as a result of having the stroke, and some of them not. Uh, so, but the hope is that the things that we learned from, from this animal model will eventually be translatable to you know, some some diseases are dis are not formally diagnosed until after death. Mm -hmm. So something like right. al like Alzheimer's. You know, right. so when you talk about these plaques and bundles and other components, mm -hmm. have any mm -hmm. of these tools been been applied in this context, and also perhaps to evaluate treatment effectiveness of, of things so, for yeah. For so Alzheimer's is a is a big area of of fMRI research for sure, um, and there's. There are public repositories of data that you could go to and, and download and work with, and it's got imaging, I think also genetic data in there. But as you say, it can't be definitively diagnosed until death. Um, after yeah. death. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And so that does make it a little bit challenging because, you know, we're, the, the scientists would be sort of guessing at the point that we have the data, they would be guessing that the person mm -hmm. actually has Alzheimer's or something else. But, um, but yeah, no, this is this is an area of, of pretty active research. It's not something that I've looked at so much. My colleagues here study schizophrenia, autism, some obesity studies. Actually, we've also been looking at um, studies of practice effects, so how that causes changes in the brain. Um, but I haven't been as much involved in studies of Alzheimer's and other diseases like that. Okay, well, great. Well, thank you so much. What, what fascinating work, Nicole. Well, um, thank you. It's, it's been our pleasure to have Nicole Lazar join us on Stats and Short Stories. Stats and Stories is a partnership between Miami University's Department of Statistics and Media Journalism and Film and the American Statistical Association. Stay tuned and keep following us on Twitter or Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to share your thoughts on our program, send your email to statsandstories at miamioh.edu. And be sure to listen for future episodes where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics.